Well, tonight we are continuing our series on parenting. And I want you to take your Bible and open to the book of Proverbs, chapter 22. Proverbs, chapter 22. One of the most significant texts on our topic tonight is found in this verse. And I call our message tonight, Paddling with a Purpose. I'm convinced that a lot of folks don't understand what paddling is all about. Of course, we live in a day when there are many parents who've just forsaken it. And they think, well, you know, we don't believe in paddling because, uh, number one, you better be careful with the government today. So if you paddle your kids, you never know what's going to happen. Or there are others who say something like this. Have you ever had this with your child? I've heard people say this. Well, you know, I don't, I don't even paddle him anymore. You know why? You could paddle him 25 times a day, it does absolutely no good. Do you have one of those? Were you one of those? <laughs> or maybe this. Well, you know, I don't paddle her anymore. You notice the first one was a him, this was a her. It seems to go this way. But I don't paddle her anymore. You know why? All you got to do is look at her and she starts to cry. I mean, what's the sense of paddling her? All you got to do is look at her. As soon as you look at her, she just starts to cry. So we just don't paddle her anymore. Now listen, paddling is taught in the Word of God. And there's a reason for it. And so it doesn't have anything to do with the idea of you and I as parents thinking, well, it doesn't do any good anyway. No, it doesn't matter whether you and I think that. Or, well, there's no sense in paddling her. She cries. The goal of paddling is not tears. There's more to it than that. And so we want to see that in the scriptures tonight. And I want to encourage you as a parent. I know the little guys are going to be upset. Oh, why did the pastor have to speak on this? But I want to encourage you as parents to get hold of this truth. It is an absolutely critical truth. And we are reaping in the church today, we are reaping the results of people who have thought they found a better way than God's way. And you cannot do that. You'll never find a better way than God's way. What we want to do is find out what God says, put it into practice His way, and then trust Him for the results. Follow with me as I read this verse, Proverbs 22 and verse 15, and then we'll pray. The verse says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we need your help tonight. As we do every time we open the scriptures, we are not able to simply reason our way in the word of God. We need the ministry of thy spirit to give us understanding. And so we ask for that tonight. We pray that you will teach us and you'll instruct us and you'll strengthen our convictions to be obedient to the word of God even if we don't always understand it, even if we don't always see it working the way we think it should, may we have a great enough faith in Thee to obey Your Word, to do what You tell us to do, and trust You to make the difference. We'll give You thanks and praise as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at the verse again, will you please? It says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now let's take the verse apart a little bit. It says foolishness. Now your child is not a fool. Your child was not born a fool. 
The danger taught in the scriptures is that people can grow up to become fools. Foolishness or the tendency to become a fool is what's talked about right here. Foolishness or the tendency to become a fool is bound in the heart of a child. Now I want you to see the word bound. That word is translated bound only a couple of times in the Bible. Most often the word that is here translated bound is translated in our Bible by the term conspire or conspiring. Now that's a little different emphasis than bound, isn't it? If you think of something bound, you normally think of something that's tied up. And I want you to let go of the picture that foolishness is, in a sense, bound or tied up in your child's heart. That's not the emphasis. This word is more often translated conspire or conspiring. And when somebody is conspiring, you think of somebody who is plotting and planning and they're at work. You know, they're behind the scenes doing this evil thing. Well, that's the term. Foolishness is bound or foolishness is conspiring in the heart of a child. Every child. Every child. Now, to get the full impact of this verse, we need to think about the heart. What's the heart? The heart for you and for your child. The heart is the deepest part of your being. That's the heart. Foolishness is conspiring in the deepest part of your child's being. Think about the heart. The heart is where somebody gets saved, right? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That child of mine is going to get saved when he believes with his heart on the work of Christ at Calvary. Now, if foolishness or the tendency to become a fool is conspiring in his heart, that's pretty serious business. At the same time, the Bible tells us that the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So while the heart is the place where a child or anybody receives God and responds to God, so it is at the heart level that somebody rejects God. Why does the Bible say the fool has said in his heart, there is no God? I think we talked about this a number of weeks ago. Because you see, a man has every reason to believe in God. So man does not really reject God in his mind he has every reason to believe in God. The heavens declare the glory of God. What makes him a fool? What makes him a fool is that he has every reason to believe, and with all the reasons to believe, he still rejects. Why? Because the rejection of God is not something that occurs at the mind. The rejection of God is something that occurs at the heart. And so if foolishness is conspiring in the heart of a child, and I can do something about it, then I better make sure I do something about it. The Bible tells us, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's you. That's me. 
I am not necessarily what I appear to be outwardly. You are not necessarily what you appear to be outwardly. You know what you are deep within. I know what I am deep within. And God says, yeah, and that's the real you. That's the real you. What you do outwardly may or may not be the real you, but as you think in your heart, that's you. The Bible says that uh, we are to hide God's word in our heart. And then we will not sin against God. It is not to hide God's word in our mind. It is not simply the memorization of Scripture that keeps somebody from sin. It's when Scripture is taken to the deepest part of my being that it keeps me from sin. It's when I take the Scripture into my heart. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Let me ask you to turn to one other place that I think is so significant. Look at the, the book of Matthew, chapter 15. Matthew, chapter 15, where it says in verse 18 and following, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man for out of the heart now see how deeply the heart is within you out of the heart proceed evil thoughts you see that your thought life is not the deepest part of your being your thought life proceeds or comes forth from your heart, the deeper part. So out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, etc. Out of the heart. Now again, we could talk about the heart all night long, and I love to dwell on that and think about that because that's sobering to me. That's a challenge to me, to think about what I am deep within before God. But our point is this, foolishness is conspiring in the heart of a child. Foolishness is at work in the child's heart. And as a parent, I've got to do something about that. And praise the Lord, God has given me what to do. He's told me what to do. What's he say? He says in verse 15, second part of the verse, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Do timeouts drive foolishness from him? Not according to the book. Do taking privileges away drive foolishness out of the child's heart? Not according to the book. But I talk to people all the time. They say, well, you know, we don't paddle because we found other things that we do. There's other things that seem to work for us because this paddling thing just doesn't seem to work for us. Now listen, it doesn't matter whether you see it working to your satisfaction or not, it is a matter of, am I going to believe the Bible? Am I going to believe that the Bible I hold in my hand is the word of the living God who knows me and knows children better than I do? And am I therefore going to trust Him and obey Him? Or am I going to cast His way aside and think I've come up with a better way? Well, 
I'd like to put my stock and my stake right there. Right there. The rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, would you take notice of this? It is the rod of what? Correction. It's not the rod of punishment. Punishment focuses on what was done wrong. Now, obviously, it's when a child does wrong that we end up using the rod of correction. But you and I need to get this in our mind. It is not a rod of punishment. It is not simply focusing on what he did wrong. It is a rod of correction. It is all about not what he did. It's all about what he's going to become. That's what parenting is all about. It's what is this child going to become and how can I take what he has done wrong and turn it into correction for the future so that I can help him become what he ought to be. Not simply punish him for what he did. The term correction here sometimes in our Bible is translated by the term instruction. And again, the whole idea of this disciplinary process is to move my child along in the right direction, a God-honoring direction. As a parent, I need to keep that in mind. That very fact will affect how I use that rod. It will affect what I say to my child when I have to paddle him. Because if it is punishment, then it is simply I paddle him and, and I leave it there and he has suffered for what he did. But if it is correction, if it is instruction, then it tells me that I have to help him get a different perspective on what he did. And I have to help him grow and help him learn through that process and that experience of discipline. How about the rod itself? What is a rod anyway? When we talk about the rod of correction. Will you take note please that there are two different very familiar terms in the Bible. The rod of Aaron. We've all heard of the rod of Aaron. And then the rod of correction. Two different words for rod. The term rod of Aaron is actually the term matal, rod, matal. It means a branch. Go out to the tree in your backyard and look up and there you will see branches. Young people be thankful that's not the rod of correction. The rod of Aaron, that rod is a branch. But the term translated rod in rod of correction is a different Hebrew word. It's the term shebet. The term shebet means a stick. It speaks of a, a small, round stick. Let me show you the word shebet elsewhere in the scripture. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 14. 2 Samuel 18 and verse 14. The situation here is that Absalom is trying to get away. He's uh, riding away on his mule and he comes to a great oak tree and uh, his head gets caught in the boughs and the branches and there he is kind of hanging there. And Joab comes along and Joab is going to put him to death. So it's not a very nice picture that we read here, but we, we can learn a lesson about a term. Verse 14. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. Now you see the word darts? The word darts there is the same term as rod in rod of correction. The term dart is the Hebrew term shebet. Now, what does Joab do? He takes 
three darts and thrust them through the heart of Absalom. Now, how big is your heart? How big is your heart? About the size of your fist, right? Now, think of that. There's the heart. Now, what does Joab do? He takes three shabets, three of them, and he thrusts them through the heart. What's the point? A shabet, a rod, is not very big, is it? It's not very big. If three of them would go through the heart, that is not very big. The rod of correction is not a very big stick. See the term elsewhere. Look with me at the book of Judges, chapter 5. Judges, chapter 5, and verse 14. Judges 5 and verse 14. We read, Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people, out of Machir came down governors, and out of Zebulun they that handle the pen of the writer. If you have your Bible open to that verse, just look at it for a moment and find the term pen. The pen of the writer. Now, the pen is that word Shabet. Now, a pen isn't very big, is it? It's not very big. The Shabet, the rod in rod of correction, is not very big. Now, I'm not saying that every time you talk about the rod of correction, you're talking about only something the size of a pen or only something the size of a dart. But there is a message here that Matah, rod of Aaron, is big. Shabet, rod of correction, is little. That's why, for instance, in Proverbs 23, if you still have your place in Proverbs, in Proverbs 23, it says in verse 13, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. See that? Now, I remember early on when our children were little and I heard a fellow preach on this. And boy, he took a very calloused approach when he, when he read that verse. And here's the way he, he read it and then interpreted it. Withhold not correction from the child. If thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. And the idea was, go ahead and beat him. Kids can handle They can take it. Just go ahead and beat him. You're not going to kill him. I don't know if my kids remember that or not. I really didn't accept his teaching. <laughs> but the reason it says that is not because children can handle it. It's because the rod of correction can't kill somebody. It can't injure somebody. You don't break bones with a pen or a dart. The rod of correction was never designed to bring that kind of injury. The rod of correction is something very small, designed for a little padded spot on the bottom, and it stings like crazy. And that's what it's all about. It is not to injure. It is to reinforce. Now, I'm going to maybe not get into this too much tonight, but I want to emphasize that one of the reasons parents get in trouble is because they understand their parental authority as physical instead of spiritual. And your authority is not related to physical. It is not, hey, I'll make you do what I want you to do because I'm big and I can beat you. That's not it. Parental authority is spiritual authority. Children are to do what parents say because the God of heaven put parents in charge. And the rod of correction is a reinforcement of that authority. But it is not 
simply the instrument of authority. The instrument of authority is the spoken word of the parent. And when the parent speaks, the child is to respond and is to be taught to respond. So what does the verse say, Proverbs 22 and verse 15? It says, foolishness, or the tendency to become a fool, is conspiring, is at work in the heart, the deepest part of the being of your child. And you must get the foolishness out. You must begin to move the child from the direction of becoming a fool toward the direction of wisdom, because those are the two things that are contrasted in the Bible. When you grow up, you either grow up to be wise or you grow up to be a fool. Before we're finished tonight, we'll see some of the things the Bible says about a fool. You don't want to be one, and you don't want your child to be one. And God says, here's the way you get the foolishness out. The rod of correction drives foolishness from the heart of the child. And again, as a parent, you might say, but you don't understand, I got this one, and boy, I can paddle them and paddle them and paddle them, and nothing seems to happen. Something is happening. Whether you see it the way you want or not, something is happening. If you do it right, foolishness is being driven from that child's heart. You say, oh, but she's so sweet. You know, I can't stand to paddle her. I mean, she is so sweet. Look at those eyes. I mean, how can you paddle a little gal like that? Come on, I'll tell you why. Because foolishness is conspiring in her precious little heart. And God says, the rod of correction shall drive it far from her. Sometimes those precious little eyes are indicative of the fact that foolishness is having great success. And she's becoming quite a master of things. And she knows how to take daddy and just wrap him right around her little finger. We've been there, haven't we? Look with me at some other places in the scriptures. Look at Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. A very, again, a very significant text. Proverbs 13 and verse 24. Here it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Now, most parents would say, oh, wait a minute, I, I don't believe that. Don't tell me that if I don't paddle my child that I hate my child. Because most parents would say just the opposite. Oh, I don't paddle, I just can't stand to paddle them. I can't stand to see them cry. I can't stand to do that. It's a terrible thing. I just hate it. You know, kids don't believe what you and I used to not believe when our parents said this. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Remember that? And you look up there and say, that's what you think. But you young people here tonight, I want to tell you something. Uh, it hurts mom and dad more than it hurts you. Understand this message. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. How could the Bible say that? The Bible is saying that to an understanding parent. The Bible is saying that to somebody who believes the Bible. The Bible is saying that to somebody who realizes this. If I spare the rod, if I don't discipline my child God's way, then I'm going to let that child grow up and become a fool. And if you as a parent are willing to ignore what the Bible says about discipline and correction and let your child grow up to become a fool, you must hate him. You must hate him. If you really love him, then you will discipline God's way. 
the verse goes on and says this, But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Now the key term there is the term betimes. You could render that term early or literally, and don't let this scare the young people, but literally it means with the dawn. That's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? He that loveth, loveth him chasteneth him with the dawn. Kind of like, man, every morning. Okay, John, out of bed. Let's just get this day started off right. I'm going to go ahead and paddle you. Maybe you'll have a good day. No, that's not the idea. But the idea is this, that it's something that you do earnestly. It's something that you do diligently. It's a situation that you are on top of. Uh, let's suppose uh, you had a lot of work to do on a Saturday morning. And all week long you've been thinking about it. Man, I've only got so much time and I've got so much to do. So Saturday morning comes. What do you do? Do you sleep into 11 o'clock? No. What do you do? You spring out of bed early because you want to be on top of this project, kind of up and at them. Hey, we got a lot to do. Let's go. It's going. That's the idea of this term. In other words, this is the parent who looks at that child and says, you know, I can't let this go. I've got to be on top of this. God has given me this child, and I have to be diligent and earnest about the disciplining and care of my child. Parenting is a project. In some ways, it doesn't last long. In other ways, you are going to be a parent for the rest of your life. But these early stages of development and training and molding character, there's not a lot of time to get that done right. We'll see that in just a moment in another verse. And the idea of this verse is, you know, if you love your child, you will be a very, very diligent parent. You are going to be right on top of what's happening in that child's life, and you're going to move him in the right direction. And that includes the rod. Look at yet another verse. Look at Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 18. Very significant statement. Proverbs 19, 18 says this. Chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. And again, built into this, shows that a loving parent does not enjoy the experience of discipline. The loving parent wants to stop. The loving parent doesn't want to discipline. He sees his, his child cry, and he says, I don't like that. And God says, now look, don't let your soul spare for his crying. Don't let those tears stop you from doing what is right. The urgency of the verse is this, chasten thy son while there is hope. The term hope is literally the term cord. It could have reference to the umbilical cord. And the idea being, as you know, when a child is born, the child is attached to his mother by a cord. And the idea of that concept of attachment is simply this, that as the child is born, in a physical sense, the cord is cut. And immediately the child begins to develop independence and move away from its parent. And you know as a parent that while your child is very young, there is very, very close attachment. 
But as the years start to go, the child develops the independence. And the whole point is this. You chasten your child while there is that close attachment, while there is that cord, or as it's put here, while there is hope. And the idea being, the older your child gets, the less hope you have. If you don't do it right early, you're going to have a terrible time once that child reaches 14, 15, 16, 17 of ever bringing them back around. And sometimes parents come and they say, hey, what am I going to do with this child? Look, he's 17 or 18. And unfortunately, sometimes we have to say, listen, he might be beyond hope. Except for the grace of God. See what that verse says? It says, hey, mom and dad, there's an urgency about this thing of parenting. And you and I need to do it right while there's hope, while there's that attachment, while they can't, you know, walk out the door and pack their bag and all that kind of thing. No, you got those precious years where they're ornery and whatever, but that's the time you got them. And you can deal with them and train them and correct them and, and move them in the right direction. But if you let your child get too far off on his own or her own, you lose hope. It's too late. Parenting is very, very important. Important to do it right. Now look at chapter 29. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. Here it says... The rod and reproof give wisdom. Now remember, that's what we're aiming at. That's what you're aiming at with your child. You want your child to grow up to be wise. And the Bible says here, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Now notice this. A child left to himself does what? Brings his mother to shame. There are too many children who are being left to themselves. There are too many children where parents aren't saying, this is right, walk in this way. This is wrong, you cannot go that way. There are too many parents who are saying, well, you know, I think kids ought to choose for themselves. No, they ought not when it comes to right and wrong, godly and ungodly, holy and unholy. That's why God gave them to you. God just didn't sit them down here on the earth and say, okay, you know, learn by experience. No, the child is to learn by training. And God gave me, my child, to train. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. And so here's what it says. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Now we've touched on the rod. I want you to think about the word reproof. The word reproof carries with it not simply rebuke, but rather the term reproof means to bring to what is right. To correct. To bring to what is right. Sometimes as parents, all we do is rebuke. We tell our children what they did wrong. We do not reprove. We do not bring them to do right. Now you and I have to bring them to do right. That's what produces wisdom. Let me illustrate this way. Have you ever heard a mom, or maybe you've been the mom, and you've said this to the kids, look at these toys all over the house. I am so tired of these toys laying all around. Now, I'm telling you, I don't want you to leave these toys around anymore because I am tired of picking up these toys. And your little boy sits there and says, works every time. When I'm done, she picks them up. 
You ever been there? What a parent has to do is say, I am tired of these toys being left around you. Pick them up. Right? I'm tired of these dishes being left all over the house. I'm tired of bringing them to the sink. I'm tired of making your bed. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. Stop. That's just rebuke. Reproof is when you make your child do what is right. You didn't make the bed right. Go make it. You didn't put your clothes where they belong. Go do it. You didn't put your dishes where they ought to be. You do it now. You wash the dishes. They're still dirty. You'll do it again. That's what produces wisdom. That's what brings a child to developing character that says, hey, you know, I need to do it right the first time. Because, notice the verse says, the rod and reproof. Pretty soon a child learns, you know, if I don't do what is right, I get the rod. And then I have to do what is right anyway. I might as well learn to go ahead and do what's right the first time. Because then I could bypass that rod. Now there's the balance. The rod and reproof bring wisdom. Leave that child to himself. Now listen, the day will come, that child will bring you to shame. That's what the Bible says. The day will come, that child will grow up and you'll say, what have I done? What have I produced? Look, look at the life he's living. Why? Because in the days when there was hope, we either didn't care enough or were not devoted enough to do it God's way. Look at verse 17, right here in the same chapter. Verse 17 says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Correct thy son, he shall give thee rest. You know, we live in a day when parents can't stand their own kids. That's a tragedy. I hear parents say that. I can't wait till school starts up again and these kids can get out of the house. I can't wait till camp comes and we can send them away for a week. I can't wait till... Hey, something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that. If you cannot stand your own kids, it is your fault. It's your fault. It's not their fault. Listen, kids will try anything. Right? Kids will try anything. I mean, you never know what a child is going to do. What makes the difference is not what your child might try, it's how you respond to it. It's what you do about it. It's whether or not you correct him so he gives you rest. Look at the next part of the verse. It says, Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what's supposed to happen. Our attitude as parents is this. Man, I love when we're together as a family. I love it when we can all be together. I don't love it when the kids are going all crazy directions. I love it when we can all be at home together. It's wonderful to be together. Delight to your soul. That's what family's supposed to be. Not, oh, get them out of here. I need some peace. Not that. Delight to our soul. Proverbs 17 and verse 10 reminds us that the wisdom that a child needs is the goal. It says in verse 10 of Proverbs 17, A reproof entereth 
more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. You know what that means? It means the time will come, if you don't do it right, if I don't do it right, the time will come when our child will become a fool. And if he come, becomes a fool, a hundred stripes wouldn't make a difference. Somebody could paddle them a hundred times or beat them a hundred times. It wouldn't make any difference. But if you raise a child who is wise, then just the word of reproof enters more deeply into him than all the beating that anybody could imagine. Now your child was not born a fool, but every child was born with foolishness. And the foolishness is conspiring. The foolishness is at work. The foolishness is trying to get that child to grow up and become the fool who might ultimately reject God. And God has given parents the wonderful privilege and opportunity to be the one who can parent that child, drive that foolishness out of the heart, and see that child grow up to serve God. Now I want you to think with me, and we'll spend just a few moments on it because the hour's late, but I want you to think with me of what the Bible says about a fool. Now if you read the, the Bible, you'll find the term fool a number of times. Actually, there are three different words in our Bible that are all translated fool. They are not vastly different from one another. You can almost take them together and form a picture of the fool. The fool in the Bible is one who is focused on himself, extremely selfish. He is filled with pride and he is, listen to it, intentionally ignorant of God. Taken together, those three terms convey the idea of stupidity, sometimes expressed in silliness. You ever meet those people? They can't get serious. Sometimes you see it in a teenager. Can never get serious. They're always messing, always fooling. Don't know when to be serious. Don't know when to straighten up. That's part of foolishness, and that's moving in the direction of becoming the fool. It's dangerous. Sometimes that stupidity is expressed in wickedness, where they have no regard for God and no regard for what is good. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fool despises wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 10 and verse 8 tells us the fool rejects authority. In Proverbs 12 and verse 15, he refuses counsel. In Proverbs 12 and verse 16, the fool has no self-control. In Proverbs 13 and verse 16, the fool reacts without full knowledge of a situation. In other words, he just flies off the handle and he just reacts and says whatever he thinks. You know, the guy, don't confuse me with the facts. That's the fool in the Bible. In chapter 14 and verse 3, he is proud. In chapter 14 and verse 8, he is deceitful. In chapter 14 and verse 9, he does not take sin seriously. In chapter 17 and verse 10, he refuses correction. In chapter 17 and verse 24, he's very short-sighted. He lives for now, doesn't live for down the road, five years, ten years, or eternity. In chapter 29 and verse 11, he doesn't know when to be quiet. He just babbles on and doesn't have the common sense to listen. The fool. You don't want one 
The Bible says in chapter 17 of Proverbs in verse 21, He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow. And the father of a fool hath no joy. Verse 25 of the same chapter says, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. God didn't give any of us a fool. But God gave to every single one of us who are parents a child that had foolishness present and active in the heart. And while God is the only one who saves souls, parenting, molding the character, bringing that child to appreciate what is right and, and uh, developing that child to go in the direction he ought to go. That is a sign to parents. And God tells us the kinds of things that we're supposed to do. And one of those is to, in a proper way, make use of the rod, the shebet of correction. Now, there are other things that I'm going to bring out next week in kind of a follow-up to this message along with just a another part of the whole series. But sometimes people say, well, well, how long, you know, should you paddle a child? When does a child get beyond that stage? I really believe that when a child reaches about 10, 11, 12, they should never have to be paddled again. By that time, the foolishness should have been driven out and a measure of wisdom should have been built in so that the, the parent is not now somehow trying to, again, physically bring this child into subjection or whatever goes along with it. But by that time, the parent should have achieved this level that when he speaks or when she speaks, the child is ready to respond with a measure of godliness and wisdom. That's our goal. Now, I want to say this for some of the young people who might be sitting here and they're, they're thinking, man, I'm 11 years old. This is almost over. Now, that perhaps is going to be determined as to whether or not you are becoming wise. And as a young person here tonight, you ought to look at life seriously and say, I want to become a wise person, not a fool. I don't want to live foolishly. I want to become wise in my walk with God. And that's available to every person in this room. Young people who can get hold of that earlier, seven, eight, nine, you might never have to be paddled again if you demonstrate wisdom and a seriousness about life and a walk with God. Because the rod of correction is all about that, driving foolishness from the heart and beginning to produce wisdom. But don't you forsake God's way. There is nothing that can substitute, and I'll guarantee you nothing that can improve on what this book says.